It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. Well, it's been a week or so, but we've been walking through the I Am statements of Jesus in the book of John. And, and again, there are, there are seven key I Am statements recorded in the book of John where Jesus says, I am, and then he equates himself with something. And we've looked at stuff like, I am the bread, I am the light, I am the gate, I am the shepherd. And if you have your Bibles, <coughs> uh, I would like you to see John chapter 10 again. Uh, last time we were walking through this, <coughs> we were looking at this idea of Jesus being the good shepherd. And uh, at the very beginning of chapter 10, again, he's coming from this this concept of I am the light in chapter 9, uh, chapter 8 and 9, <clears throat> he comes in at the beginning part of chapter 10, and he begins to talk about the fact that, that I am the gate, uh, or I am the door, so I, I'm, the, I'm really the shepherd who lays at the, the front entrance uh, of the gate. <clears throat> uh, that uh, verse 3, uh, he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out, which is this whole idea of relationship and intimacy. But he gets down into verse 7, uh, Again, just talking spe- specifically about the fact that I am the door of the sheep. At verse 10, he goes, hey, the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come to give life, not just life, but life abundant. And then he comes into verse 11, and he makes <clears throat> another one of these great I am statements, which we looked at last time. <clears throat> and he says, I am the good shepherd. And again, the word good there is not just in the sense of like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, it's the idea of superior uh, it's this idea of genuine, uh, it's this idea of completeness, that, that he is he's above all other shepherds, that he is the genuine article, that he is competent in being able to do the, the work of shepherding itself. As he walks down there, he continues and he says, hey, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then he contrasts that with a hired hand. Uh, but look down at uh, John 10, 14. He says again, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and I am known by my own, even as the Father knows me, so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And again, Jesus is saying, do you recognize that I am the good shepherd? In fact, I know my sheep. And we talked about the fact that it uses the word gnosko, which is this whole idea of knowing something, but through experience or relationship or intimacy. In other words, the shepherd, the good shepherd, doesn't just know about the sheep. He doesn't just say, well, yeah, that one's Bob, and that one's Susie, and that one's Bertha, right? It's, it's the fact that he is intimately acquainted with each of the sheep, that he's in close proximity, he's in, he's in intimacy with his sheep, which is kind of a neat idea, that he, that he knows his sheep so well. Why? Because he's spending time with the sheep, which I think is just a beautiful picture. Uh, in light of all that, I thought it could be fun to kind of turn over and just spend a session this morning looking at Psalm 23. And, uh, and obviously there's probably no psalm in Scripture that's been written more about or sung more about or declared more than Psalm 23. <clears throat> so obviously you know the psalm. Uh, in fact, it's, it's traditionally used in funerals, uh, which is humorous at one level when you actually look at what it actually is saying. But of course, it's, it, we, we, do, we use it at funerals for the sake of comfort and 
you know, and just recognizing that, hey, even though we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, whoo, we don't have to fear, and, and, and that's all important. I think it's actually beautiful. But what I like to do is I, I'm going to presume you know Psalm 23 at some level, and I'm going to read it. Uh, but what I don't, what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to walk through it section by section, verse by verse. Um, I want to give a few little ideas and thoughts, but what I want to basically do is kind of step back and look at this idea that if Jesus is the good shepherd, which is true, and here is David in Psalm 23 talking about the fact that God is his shepherd, I want to draw a couple conclusions and some thoughts about Jesus in light of Psalm 23. So I just want to kind of come at the psalm from a different angle. Uh, but if you have your Bible, Psalm 23, uh, <clears throat> it's a psalm of David. This is what David writes. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will, know, I will not fear, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just an incredible psalm. Uh, it's interesting that <clears throat> some, some people have split the psalm in half, and sort of in half, and they've declared that verses 1 through 4, is the whole picture of the shepherd, and then verses 5 and 6 is either a host, like, you know, bringing into a banquet, or it's different shepherding imagery. In other words, uh, some people have said that the first four verses, it's very exclusive in terms of the shepherding language, or verse 5 and 6, uh, some have argued, well, what David's doing is he's shifting his focus, he's no longer talking about the shepherd, he's talking about a dinner host. And here's this host of a, of a banquet, and he's invite, inviting you in, and, and, he's, and he's preparing the table kind of a thing. And that may be true, and there's a lot of historical evidence that that would have been probably understood in one sense. It is interesting, though, that verses 5 and 6 can be understood in light of the shepherding stuff. And so there's a lot of scholars who say, well, no, the whole thing is the shepherding language. He's just kind of changing focus from a, uh, the shepherd and a sheep to almost a shepherd and provision or shepherd and table language. And again, however you want to split this up probably doesn't matter because the reality is it's still the same. God is, God is a shepherd. Uh, I want to give you my outline, not that it means much, but just so that you have at least how I've been structuring this. Uh, I've broken the psalm into four key sections. Uh, I'm calling verse one the premise. In other words, verse one is setting the, the, the kind of setting the foundation, if you will, for the whole psalm. And again, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I shall not lack. And again, it's kind of setting the whole tone for the, for the whole psalm, and the whole psalm is flowing out of verse 1. So I'm calling verse 1 the premise. Now, verse 2 and 3, I'm calling uh, the provision, which is the whole concept of God being the shepherd, giving the provision for what the sheep, us, actually need. Uh, verse 4 and 5 I am calling the protection, because again, it's this whole valley, the shadow of death thing, uh, table in the presence of my enemies, all that kind of stuff. And so I'm calling that the section of protection. And then verse 6, I'm calling the purpose, that the whole psalm in my mind is being driven towards, uh, to verse 6 with the purpose of, hey, 
goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is the key purpose. That's where David is coming to this whole thing. So if, if you want to say it this way, the, the premise or the whole thrust of the psalm is the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, for what purpose? Well, it's so that I recognize the fact that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. And everything can, kind of contained in the middle of that is kind of the nuts and bolts, of you will, if, of, of, the, of those two bookends, of what does it look like to live in that reality of him being a shepherd and me experiencing his goodness and mercy. Oh, well, it means he's going to lead me beside still waters. Oh, it means he's going to right, give me uh, grassy pastures. Oh, it means he's going to walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death. And so all of those are like nuance or, or aspects of what it means for him to be a shepherd and for goodness and mercy to follow me all the days of my life. So I, I see verse 1 and verse 6 in a, as a bookend, in a sense, going from the premise to the purpose with this whole idea of the provision and protection in the middle. And if you want to do anything with that, that's fine. If you want to ignore it, that's fine too. Uh, but what I want to do <coughs> is just quickly walk through the psalm again and just kind of give you a couple quick nuggets. Again, my guess is you know most of this. But then I want to stand back and give you four kind of conclusions based on this psalm. Uh, verse 1 again says, The Lord is my shepherd. It's really interesting that David is using the unspeakable name of God. We often, we often call it you know, Jehovah or Yehovah or Yahweh. It, it's that name. So this is, this is the name that God gave Moses in the bush. And it's interesting that David says, that same God is my shepherd. Now it's really interesting, the word my shepherd is actually a verb in the Hebrew. And so the way you would actually translate it is, the Lord is shepherding me. It's actually a participle. But the Lord is shepherding me. And it's interesting, and we've looked at the Lord concept before, but when you look at this idea of the name Yahweh or the I am statement that God gives Moses, it has this idea of activity, that there's this ac active thing going on. And again, it's, it's speaking of his unchanging nature, that he was, he is, and he always will be. So we know that what David's saying is, hey, he was, he is, he always will be a shepherd. But the idea in the passage is that it's not just he was, he is, and always will be a shepherd. It's that he is actively shepherding me. So it's not that someday in the past, yeah, he shepherded me. It's not, well, maybe one day in the future he's shepherding me. The idea in the passage is, hey, the Lord, the God of the universe, is actively shepherding me. And it's an action. That he's, he's in the process of being the shepherd. Which means, I don't have to say, God, would you be my shepherd? This isn't, hey, Lord, um, I, really, I really need some direction. This is, do you know what God's doing right this very moment? In the middle of all your crisis, in the middle of all of your craziness, in the middle of your family, in the middle of your finances, in the middle of your virus, whatever it is that you may be dealing with, do you know what God's act actively doing right this very moment? He's shepherding us. Do you know how awesome that is? Just that one concept to me is amazing. That he is actively shepherding his people. That he's not just on retirement. He's not taking a day off. He's not just hiring this out to somebody else. He's not saying, whoo, I'm beat. I'm just, I'm going to take a nap. Good luck, sheep. That's not what it's, he's actively shepherding us at this very moment. In fact, I think we actually have a greater confidence than even David could. Because we have more history to look back on and say, yes, God has proven himself faithful through the ages that he is actively shepherding. 
I mean, David just had a little bit of history. I mean, he had a lot. But, you know, he had, compared to us, I mean, we have 3,000 years on David. And so, hey, we have 3,000 more years of looking back at human history saying, wow, isn't it neat how God is actively shepherding his people? Now, he goes on to verse 1. Again, he's laying a foundation here. And he says, I shall not want, or some translations say, I shall not lack. I actually really like that language. It has this idea that everything that I need is going to be provided. Now, that doesn't mean everything I want is going to be provided. (laughs) That doesn't mean I'm going to live in comfort. This does not mean I get a new house. This does not mean I won't won't get sick. This doesn't mean I won't. So are you getting this? So, hey, we're going to face challenges. In fact, David in the passage talks about challenges. So this is not a removal of challenge. This is not about a removal of problem. This is not about a removal of a virus. This is not about a removal of, right? It's not about that. It's in the middle of all that, I'm going to have what I need. And again, I just, I love that Second uh, Peter 1, 3 passage where everything that we need for life and for godliness is found in Jesus. That we don't need to look anywhere else. Why? Because everything, you do not lack what you need. That he is actively providing all that you need for life and for godliness. Which is an exciting idea. So I shall not lack. Now again, you've got to go back, and we talked about this last time in the John 10 passage. But when you look at the job description of a shepherd, the job description of a shepherd really is three key things. One, a shepherd is there to give provision for the sheep. And in fact, you see it in the passage, right? He's leading the sheep toward these grassy knolls. He's leading them toward the still waters. He's actually the one who's going to help provide the, what they actually need to survive. Do you know that that's what God's doing this very moment? That he is, he is the God of provision. That he is giving all that we need. Now, that doesn't mean you won't be hungry. That doesn't mean you won't face suffering. That doesn't mean you won't face hardship and challenge. In fact, God loves you facing challenge because it forces you to trust him as the shepherd. And he leverages, he leverages the challenges. I mean, read Romans 8, 28 again. He leverages the challenge. It's not that he's causing everything, but he's leveraging all that you're facing so that you would experience a greater reality of him. And he is working all things according to his purpose. It's not that he is causing destruction and, and rape and murder. And see, he's not an author of sin. So it's not that he is causing destruction. He's not causing sin, but he will use everything that comes into your life for his purpose and his plan. And he's going to let, why? Because he has an agenda. He's going to shepherd you. Hey, sheep break their legs. So it's not a removal of breaking the legs. It's that when you break your leg, you have a shepherd, which is encouraging. So a shepherd is there for provision. A shepherd is there for protection. Right, so here's this wolf or here's this lion who's, who's running in to grab, grab one of the flock. And the shepherd, what does the shepherd do? The shepherd stands in the way and protects. He, he's actually an intercessor, right? He's really going to give his life for the sheep. And so, he, of course, he has a staff, right? He, a, lot, a lot of times he'd have a sling and a stone, and he will go after the enemy. So the shepherd is going to protect. And, of course, the Psalms are just full of that language, that he is our high tower, that he is our protection, that he is our refuge, that he is... Why? Because... That's part of his active shepherding that he's going to protect. And not, is it not, it's not just provision, it's not just the protection, but a shepherd gives direction. 
And again, the reason he has the shepherd's crook is so that he can lightly tap the backsides of the sheep. Come, come on, little sheep, right? You're, you're, going, you're going way too, off, too, too far this direction. So, hey, let's, let's bring you into alignment and let's walk down the path that I have for you. And so isn't it an amazing thought that as a, as a shepherd, even bad shepherds give provision, protection, and direction to the sheep? But Jesus says, I'm not, I'm not a bad shepherd. I am the superior. I am the genuine. I am the competent shepherd. So what is he doing? He is actively shepherding us, which means he's giving provision, protection, and direction. Now, that may not be how you want it, but he is doing that. And again, a lot of times the sheep are on the backside of the, uh, of the desert. And so, hey, they get hungry. But hey, they can trust their shepherd, that the shepherd knows where the little grassy sections are, and that hey, it may take some time, but we're getting over to the grassy section. And hey, I'm really thirsty. So we're not talking about instantaneous stuff here. We're not saying, you know, name it and claim it and nab it and grab it. Kind of. We're not saying that's how God's shepherding. We're saying God is a loving shepherd. And so he's actively shepherding us. And he's going to use the challenges and use the hardships. Why? To drive us into a greater position of trust and dependence upon him as the shepherd. And isn't it awesome that there's this idea that I will not lack? Now, here's what I think is amazing. It just kind of dawned on me last night. This idea of I shall not lack, you realize he doesn't actually specify what that is in one sense. He just says, I'm not going to lack. But what's interesting as you get into verses 2 down to verse 6 is he actually begins to describe the areas of which he is lacking and in which God, as a shepherd, is providing for the lack. Does that make any sense? So he's like, hey, I'm not going to lack. And then he begins to kind of give a miniature list of some of these things. For example, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Oh, because of that, I'm not lacking. Verse, verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Oh, because of that, I'm not lacking. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Oh, so that means I'm not going to lack. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Hey, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Hey, I don't lack. Are you getting this? So again, it's like verse 1 becomes this premise statement where, hey, the Lord is actively shepherding my life. And as such, hey, I, I am lacking nothing. So let me tell you all about that. And he goes into the rest of the psalm, talking about the fact that he is not lacking, which I just think is beautiful. Uh, here's another, and again, I'm not going to walk through each of the verses like this, but uh, look at the end of verse 2. It says, he leads me beside still, still waters. And we know that sheep, you know, they... Uh, for them to drink water, they can't have running water. They have to have still water because I guess somehow the water gets up in their nose and they can't breathe, and that's important. So, so when, when a shepherd's going to lead sheep to water, they have to lead them beside still, quiet waters. But that word, it's interesting. The word leads, he leads me beside the still, quiet waters. The word leads actually has this idea of to lead gently. It's actually a really neat picture to me. See, you can drive cattle, right? You have a cattle drive. 
So we need to get cattle from this location over to this location. So what do we do? We get some guys on some horses, we take some whips, and we start driving the cattle. We start pushing the cattle so they get from this location to this location. Isn't it interesting? You cannot drive sheep. You have to lead sheep. Sheep must decide to follow. Think, just think about that spiritually. It is so profound to me. That, hey, it's not going to work if we're trying to drive you. And you've recognized this in church. We can bang the drums, drums a little bit louder, but that doesn't mean you worship. Hey, we can have a pizza night so that we can go out and evangelize, but that doesn't mean you're actually going to evangelize. See, we cannot drive you. You must decide to follow. You must be led. And isn't it neat that the idea in the passage is that he is gently leading me and the whole idea, again, it goes back into John 10, 27, that my sheep hear my voice and they follow. That somehow the whole idea of the shepherd and the sheep, and again, I think this is such brilliant language for our spiritual lives, is that here is the shepherd who is actively shepherding me. He's not driving me. He is leading me, which means I must hear his voice, and as a sheep, I must choose to follow him in his voice. Now, if I go off stray, yes, he's going to discipline me. And he does have a wonderful rod of correction. Praise the Lord. However, I get to choose whether or not I'm going to follow. I just think that's a neat thought. <clears throat> Again, at the end of verse 3, uh, he leads me besides, uh, uh, sorry, he leads me in passive righteousness for his name's sake. Isn't it interesting that David recognizes this is not for David? This is not for the sake of the sheep. This is for him and for his purpose and for his glory and his reputation, which I think is beautiful. Uh, verse 4, it's interesting that in verse 4, the whole paradigm shifts. In verse 1, 2, and 3, David is looking at God and saying, oh, he's my shepherd. He's doing this. He's doing this. He's doing this. But verse 4, there's this dramatic shift, and he says, hey, even if, though I walk through these shadowy places, Whereas a sheep should cause fear in my life, I don't have to fear. Why? He no longer starts talking about the shepherd. In verse 4, he starts talking to the shepherd. And it's interesting, in verse 4, he says, Hey, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no ev evil. Why? For you are with me. So why is it that we can really walk in this life through any shadowy places without fear? Oh, we have his presence. In fact, we even have it better than David did. Because you recognize that what we have in, this, in the new, this new covenant is the fact that we actually have God. He's not just with us. He lives inside of us. So how much more should we not fear? So it doesn't matter the shadowy places that we, we walk, walk down. There should be no fear in our life. Hey, the virus is going bonkers. I know that but I can have a smile on my face. Why? Because I've got Jesus. That I can actually have peace and rest. Why? Because he is with me. Isn't it interesting that one of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us? Even his name bespeaks to the fact that he's with us. And so here is, here's countless years before all this, a thousand years before Jesus, and before he was born, and here's David saying, hey, I don't have to fear. Why? Because... Emmanuel, you're with me. 
And how much more is that a reality in our life as, as Christians? Again, he goes on and he <clears throat> uh, uses the language, uh, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'm going to come back and talk about this, but isn't it interesting that a lot of scholars presume that this, this psalm was written toward the end of David's life. So here's David. He's been a shepherd. He knows all the shepherding language, right? He grew up as a shepherd. Now he's a king, so now he's shepherding a people. And it's like he's looking back on his life, and here is a life full of sin, right? The whole David and Bathsheba thing, right? Here, here's a life full of just corruption. His family has gone astray. And yet his conclusion in this whole thing is, you know what? Lord, you have been actively shepherding me surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That it's like his conclusion to his life is the fact that, wow, God, you have been with me. You have been actively shepherding me. Wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to wait to the end of our life to realize that? Now, with all that being said, and again, I'm presuming you know the psalm well, and I'm not walking through it section by section, but, but what I want to do is I want to stand back and give you just four quick thoughts in terms of this idea of Jesus saying, hey, I am the good shepherd, what does that actually mean in light of Psalm 23? So, number one, God's intimacy is revealed. Isn't it interesting? We, we, all throughout the scriptures, the language of a shepherd is often used for God and for kings. That, hey, God is shepherding his people. Oh, this king is shepherding the people. But in this psalm, it's like David puts all that aside and says, yeah, that's true, but it begets, he gets really personal. And David says, hey, the Lord is actively shepherding me. The Lord is my shepherd, says David. That this is not a group thing. This is intimate. This is personal. This is relational kind of a, kind of a thing. So isn't it fascinating that we're talking about the fact that, that here's Jesus. He is the good shepherd it's not that he has a flock. We understand that. In fact, read John 10 again. He talks about the fact that there's this flock, right? And, and the flock knows his voice and, and, all, and all that kind of stuff. So we're not discounting the flock. It's just, as he says in the beginning of John 10, hey, I know my sheep intimately. Hey, I know them by name at the very end of John 10, right? That, that I am personally acquainted with each of my sheep. It's not just, well, yeah, I've got about 100 sheep. It's, hey, I've got... Bob and Josephine and Susie and Bertha and Jaquita and, and, and right, he knows all of his sheep by name, right? Chops, makes sense with lamb chops, right? And, and you know, fluffy and, you know, whatever, right? So, hey, I, I intimately, I intimately, I intimately know my sheep. And e even the passage bespeaks that because David says, ah, oh, the Lord is my shepherd. Is Jesus that in your life? I mean, we know he's a shepherd, but do we actually know the fact that he is our, my, your shepherd? Not just in mere theory, like this abstract concept, like, yeah, whoo, praise the Lord, he's a shepherd. No, do you actually know that he is your shepherd? And that he is actively shepherding you? Number two, not just the fact that God's intimacy is revealed, but it's amazing to me that in the psalm, God's continuing salvific work is revealed. I found this interesting. Nearly every line of Psalm 23 harkens back. It echoes back to the Exodus. And for whatever reason, I never caught it. 
But almost every line of Psalm 23, it's like it echoes back to the Exodus, the, the time in the wilderness wanderings. And it's like what God was doing when he brought them out of Egypt into the promised land, David is using that language in the psalm to say, that's what you're doing in my life. And just as we look back upon what you did in, in history and look, look back on what you did in the Exodus and look back at the fact that you saved the, your people from Egypt and you've, you, hey, you, were, you were having this salvific work right, by the blood of the Lamb, just as you were saving them back then, guess what you are actively doing in my life right now? You are showcasing your salvific work. So let me give you a couple examples really quick. Uh, He says again, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want or I shall not lack. You realize that language shows back up in the Exodus stuff. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 7 says, These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Psalm 34.10 is kind of a summary of that whole time. And he says, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Isn't that interesting? Uh, When you go to that idea of the fact that he restores my soul or he restores my life, again, there's there's this language, especially through the Psalms, that talk about the fact that, hey, you are restoring me. And the imagery they use a lot of times is the Exodus stuff. So again, there's this hint, this echo of the Exodus. Uh, he, leads me, he leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. L- listen to Exodus 15. Uh, in Exodus 15, during the Exodus, you know, obviously the, the, the wandering stuff, it says, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Do you know what he's doing? He's leading his people for righteousness sake. His holy abode stuff. Uh, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It says in Psalm 78 that they spoke against God saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that the water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread and provide meat for his people? Speaking about the Exodus. Isn't it interesting? And again, there's a whole bunch of these. But over and over and over again, there is that language, that surely goodness and mercy. Do you know where that starts showing up? Exodus 34. That his, his loving kindness endures forever. That he's willing to show his loving kindness for thousands of generations. There's these echoes from the Exodus all over Psalm 23. And it's like David is hearkening back saying, wow, hey, do you remember how God led us and shepherded us in the wilderness? Do you see how his salvific work as he brought us out of Egypt by the blood of the Lamb. Did you see how that is working back then? He's doing that now, and he's continuing his salvific work in my life. Now again, how much more can we say that, having 3,000 more years of seeing God's salvific work, primarily with the good shepherd, Jesus, right? which is the climax of his whole salvific work, which is what everyone, everything points to. So I love this idea that, it, that the psalm not only bespeaks of the intimacy, the relationship that we get with the shepherd, but it also bespeaks of this idea of his continuing salvific work in those he is shepherding. Uh, number three, God's character is revealed. This to me is profound. <clears throat> uh, we've walked through this countless times with his names, but a name isn't just a name. 
right? A name is symbolic of reputation, character, nature, attribute, that kind of a thing. Isn't it interesting that as you walk through the psalm, God has like a name for every single line. Now, we know that he's a shepherd, so hey, we get that one. But as, as he's beginning to walk, as David walks through the psalm, and he talks about the fact that he's not lacking. Why? Because God does this. Do you realize that there's a name for God for that? That, he, that, that it's not just something that he does. This is who he is. So let me walk through these. Again, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack. Do you know that his name is Jehovah Jireh? The God who provides. The God who sees our need in advance and makes provision for that which we need. Why? So that we do not lack. Uh, he leads me beside still waters. He is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace. That place of stillness and calm. He restores my soul. God is Jehovah Rapha. He's the Lord who heals. He's the one who restores. Uh, he leads me in the path of righteousness. He is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Uh, by the way, you want the references for these? Uh, Jehovah Jireh, Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. Uh, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Uh, Judges 6, 24. By the way, there's a whole bunch of references, but these are the key ones. Uh, he restores my soul, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Exodus 15, verse 26. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord of righteousness, Jeremiah 33, verse 16. Sorry, I should have given this earlier. Uh, he says, you are with me. You realize that he is Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord is there, or the Lord is here. Ezekiel 48, 35. He says that you will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He is Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is our banner. And if you understand what that whole banner, the whole idea of Nisi is that here, here we are in the middle of a, ba a battle and we raise up the banner, that we all fight under a banner. So here we are in the midst of the presence of our enemies and yet we're standing under his banner. That, uh, that it's that idea. Uh, but Exodus 17, 15. <clears throat> you anoint my head with oil. He's Jehovah Mekedishkim, the Lord who sanctifies. Leviticus 28. Isn't it interesting that it's like as you walk through the psalm, every single line, David says, I shall not lack. Why? Because God is willing to lead me beside still waters. And God says, yeah, that's who I am. I, I, I'm Jehovah Shalom. I'm the God of peace. And though some of these names come, come up after David, isn't it interesting? It's like Psalm 23 just becomes a highlight of God's character. That if God is the shepherd and he's actively shepherding us and he provides all that we need so we do not lack, God says, that's not just something I do for you. That's just who I am in my character, in my nature, that I am I'm exposing who I am. So here's David crying out, saying, God, you're all that I need, and you're providing all that I need. And God goes, yep, that's who I am. That this is my very nature, that I am the God of peace, that I am the one who's there. I, I am your banner. I am your righteousness. I am the one who sanctifies you. Isn't that beautiful? I just think that's amazing. And lastly, and again, there's probably more than this, but just for this morning. But lastly, God's purpose is revealed. Again, if you look at verse 6, David says, Surely goodness 
and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, which is the whole point and the redemptive purpose of this thing. In fact, it's interesting that word surely can also be translated only. Only goodness and mercy shall follow me. And again, here's David. Scholars presume at the end of his life, and he's looking back. And of course, he sees the sin with Bathsheba, and he sees all this, the tragedy with his family. And, but isn't it interesting? It's like this is David's personal Romans 8.28. It's like he's looking back upon his life and says, God, even though my life hasn't been perfect, you know what? The only way I can describe what's happened is surely goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life. The word goodness, by the way, comes from the Hebrew word tov, which means good. If you go to Hebrew, you hear the word tov all the time. Boka tov, right? Good morning. It's that kind of idea. Uh, I get off the bus, and uh, I'm always telling the bus driver, you know, thank you, and all that kind of stuff, and he's like, how is I'm like, tov, 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 yeah, good, it's very good, good, yeah, it's awesome, you know, and uh, <coughs> it's that idea, it's just, it's goodness, like, just pure goodness, but here's, here's, I love this, the word mercy, in my, my translation, is the Hebrew word hesed, which hands down is, I think, has become my favorite Hebrew word, and it is, it's trying to push out gnosko is my all-time favorite Bible word, but but hesed, it is hard to describe the word hesed. It, there's like 80 legitimate ways you can translate the word hesed. It is so comprehensive. It is so over the top. A lot of times it's translated faithful or loving kindness or friendship or covenant love or mercy or grace. or I mean, there's just, just this whole list. And what's neat is the best translation I've heard, maybe not the best, but the one I like the, the most is from the one whom we should expect nothing gives us everything. Do you know what God's doing? We deserve nothing from him. We should expect nothing from him. We deserve hell in eternity is what we, ex- we should expect. So here's the one to whom we should expect nothing, and yet what has he done? He's given everything. That's this idea of hesed. And David's looking back upon his life and saying, God, I don't deserve it but you have given me goodness and your hesed love. That you've really dumped forth this, hey, I, you've given me all that I need. That you've given me this <clears throat> covenant loyalty, this faithfulness, this grace and mercy all the days of my life, and I don't deserve it, but wow! And it's going to continue to follow me all the days of my life. In fact, if you turn to Exodus 34, God says, I am a God of hesed. I'm a God of steadfast love. And I will show my steadfast love for thousands of generations. That this is not just something he has. This isn't just something that he does. This is who he is. That he is a God of hesed. And David begins to recognize that. That, hey, here's a Lord who is actively shepherding me. And as such, do you realize that the only way I can describe my life is that, wow, goodness and mercy, goodness and hesed, goodness and faithfulness, goodness and grace, Goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Because he just can't help himself. Isn't it neat that David goes on and says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? You realize that David didn't have the temple. There was a tabernacle. And kings were not permitted to live in a tabernacle or the temple. So somehow David is talking about something far beyond just, well, yeah, we're going to build a temple and I'm going to live there. It seems like he's talking about, God, 
I, I'm going to be right where you're at. Hey, God, I'm going to, where you are, that's, that, that's, my, that's my location. Why? Because you are my shepherd. By the way, Jesus says similar things to that. Right? In John 14. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, many dwelling places. And I'm going to go and prepare a place for you so that where I am, you might be also. It's like David has seen a glimpse of this saying, oh, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to live right where he's at. That, that hey, my hey, goodness and mercy is following me. And where am I going to end up? Right where he is. Why? Because he is my shepherd and he is actively shepherding me. Do you recognize that he's a good shepherd? Isn't it neat that in the old days, the shepherd raised the sheep so that the sheep could be the sacrifice for the shepherd? Right? The priestly shepherds, they were raising the sheep. Why? So that the sheep could be sent down to the temple, so the sheep could be sacrificed. Why? For the sins of the people. So the shepherd raised the sheep so that the sheep could sacrifice themselves for the shepherd. But with Jesus, something has shifted. Because the shepherd has now given his life as a sacrifice for the sheep. That's beautiful. He is our good shepherd. So when Jesus stands up and says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Is that true in your life? Do you recognize him as the good shepherd? Do you realize that he is actively shepherding you? Do you realize that he wants relationship and intimacy? Do you recognize that his salvific work is to be revealed in your life? Do you realize that his character in this whole idea of Psalm 23 is being exposed and expounded? And it all comes to a climax in Jesus because he is our righteousness. He is the one who sanctifies us. He is the Prince of Peace. He is our banner. And isn't it neat that his purpose for your life is that you would experience his goodness and mercy. That you would experience his goodness and grace. That you would experience his goodness and faithfulness. You would begin to experience his goodness and loving kindness. And that you would dwell right where he's at all the days of your life. That that is the purpose of this thing. Why? He's the shepherd. I don't know about you, but I, I need that on a greater level this morning. I don't want to just talk about the fact that he's a shepherd. I want to experience him as a shepherd. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, I'm just dumbfounded by the fact that you are not just a shepherd. You are the shepherd. You are the good shepherd, which means you're the superior one. Hey, you're genuine. You're competent to do the work of shepherding. But Lord, I don't have to ask for provision. That's, you're just going to provide it. You're a shepherd. I don't have to ask for protection. You're going to provide it because you're a shepherd. I don't have to ask for direction. You're going to provide it because you're a shepherd and you are actively shepherding. So Lord, what would it look like if I actually became a sheep and I would quit trying to shepherd my own life and I would literally surrender myself to the will of the shepherd and I would begin to understand that the shepherd wants relationship with me, his sheep, that somehow he wants to reveal his, self, his ongoing salvific work in me. Or what would it look like if I began to recognize that your character is being exposed in all of this? What if I began to recognize, Jesus, that, that wow, that you are, you are good. And that your purpose for my life is, 
that I would begin to experience your goodness and your hesed, your, your mercy, your faithfulness, your truth, your goodness, your grace, your steadfast love. Not just one time, not, not just a check it off a list kind of a thing, but I would continually, actively experience you being my shepherd, which means I'm actively experiencing the fact that I lack nothing because in you is all things that I need for life and godliness. That you actively shepherding my life means that I get to experience your ongoing goodness and mercy, not just once, but all the days of my life. See, Lord, what would it look like if if the yearning of my soul was the fact that I just wanted to be where you are? That I wanted to dwell in the, the house of the Lord forever? Or as the psalmist says later on, that, wow, one day in your courts we better than a thousand elsewhere. That I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. That the very worst that heaven has, I mean the trash heaps of heaven, is still far better than the best the world has to offer. Lord, can I recognize the fact that, that you are my shepherd and that you are willing to actively shepherd my life? And Lord, it doesn't matter what I'm going through, it doesn't matter the, the shadows, shadow places, it doesn't, it doesn't matter the, the place where everyone else is in fear, I can have no fear because you are with me. In fact, you are living inside of me through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I don't know about anybody else, but I need that. Lord, I don't want to walk into the rest of this day with some sort of an arrogance thinking that I can shepherd my own life. Lord, I want to just admit that I can't, that I need you. And Lord, I want to walk in obedience. Lord, thank you that you don't drive me, that you lead me, that you gently lead me. And and yes, your crook is so wonderful and your staff that will just prod me at times. But Lord, I choose to follow. I want to be led. Lord, we do thank you that you are truly are all that we need for life and for godliness. Lord, we celebrate you. We love you. We thank you. We freshly declare that your goodness and mercy are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Love you, Jesus. We do give you the praise and the glory. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.